Yeah, I had a very good quote, and I don't have it in front of me, but it's one from Ben Franklin that said, uh, Tell me and I forget. Teach me and I learn. Involve me and I remember. And so that's what I wanted the pasture walk focused on. So I wanted people to be there and they could see for themselves what's going to work for them. Welcome to the 313th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, regenerative agriculture, community food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. There's a lot of talk about the value of farmer-to-farmer learning when it comes to regenerative agriculture. But what does it look like in action? One extremely effective way to learn firsthand about grass-based livestock production, for example, is to go on a pasture walk. LSB pasture walks are fairly informal affairs and usually start out with the host farmer standing in the shade of a tree or shed and describing the basics of their operation including a little history of why they got involved with adaptive rotational grazing in the first place. Maybe their permanent pastures were worn out, or, in some cases, perhaps the farm was dominated by row crops like corn and soybeans, and grazing provided a way to transition into a livestock production system that utilizes perennial grasses and forbs to build and protect soil profitably. But at the heart of any good pasture walk is, well, the walk. Specifically, Participants take a hike into a pasture broken up into grazing paddocks. There, they get an up-close and personal gander at what's growing in the pasture, how the fencing and watering systems are set up, and ways the host farmer handles issues like rotations, animal health, and weather. On a recent July evening, Nikki Meyer hosted an LSP pasture walk during which a couple dozen farmers and landowners that represented a range in ages and experience hoofed it around the extremely hilly land she and her husband Cody own near Dorchester in northeastern Iowa. Both Nikki and Cody work full-time off the farm. She's a sales rep for a seed company, and Cody is a mechanic. During the past few years, Nikki has found time to build up a 50-cow beef herd consisting of Red Angus, Black Angus, Charlet, and other breeds. Nikki affectionately refers to them as her mutts. The 30-year-old is enthusiastic about developing a rotational grazing system that makes the best use of these rugged acres while producing healthy, productive animals. Wearing a t-shirt displaying the words, My happy place is with my cows, Nikki energetically led pasture walk participants down a steep slope to one of her paddocks and talked about some of the hard lessons she's learned when it comes to setting up and utilizing fencing and watering systems. Hint, water builds up a lot of pressure when it's running through a line down a bluff country slope, so amateur plumbing skills come in handy. Even more importantly, the beef producer then allowed participants to get their hands on various kinds of fencing wire and posts she had laid out on display. They even got to play with a bat latch, which is a type of gate mechanism that utilizes a timer to open automatically when it's time for livestock to move to a new paddock. This hands-on experience prompted lots of questions and sharing of information on what equipment to use and how to use it. There was also a high-energy discussion about what equipment not to use. The pasture walk had evolved into a show-and-tell discussion and support group, the epitome of farmer-to-farmer learning. Afterwards, Nikki talked to me about her farm's background, how she got interested in rotational grazing, the sources of information she relied on when she was getting started, and why one should never forget that water always, always runs downhill. Yeah, so Cody, my husband, 
bought this farm. It was his dream farm. He always wanted to buy it from his grandpa and grandma, which would be Willard and Shirley Meyer. Uh, when we purchased it, it was uh, about 100 and f- 180 acres, and uh, five of those acres were considered with the uh, county road. So technically, it should be 185 acres of land that mm-hmm. he purchased. We've got, I'm going to call them a bunch of mutts, but they're a bunch of mutts of about 50 beef cows. Sometimes we're a little higher than that, sometimes we're a little lower. In 2013, we bought the herd from Willard and Cody's uncle at the time. Okay. I grew up on a farm. I love farming. It's my passion. It's imprinted on me. I can't get it out of my head. And um, cows have always, we grew up on a swine and beef farm where dad farrowed to finish, and then he also calved to finish the the beef herd. And I always liked the beef cows. That passion just followed me through, and I was fortunate enough to to marry Cody and, and his interest in it too. It's just grew from there is really what it's done. Mm-hmm. And you've got corn and beans and hay here and in this pasture. And this farm, it looks like it sounds like it had a history of, of cattle on it before. Yeah, so how I got started on the rotationally grazing piece is I saw the difference of Willard and Stan. The pasture was split into two. Mm-hmm. And I could see that difference of the vegetation or just the tonnage. You know, I, I was on productivity is what my main goal was. I saw that difference, and then I, I uh, just kept building on that. I went to other field days. I went to more educational pieces, uh, pasture walks, extension meetings. I just saw that difference, and I wanted that. So I knew it would make me better, and I always want to be better. Um, on the corn hay, we, I like to call ourselves a traditional farm. Mm-hmm. We, we were not organic. We still use some herbicides. But I like to think that we do it in a different way. Definitely doing a IPM management, you know, integrated pest management. I'm sweeping for bugs. I'm checking the corn. I'm checking the pastures. My biggest problem, I guess, would be multi-floor rows. And unless that gets completely unbearable, then I will break down and spray. But otherwise, I, I try to manage it with what I've got before I go to those measurements. I didn't want to put words in your mouth, but it also seems just looking at this landscape we're in the middle of bluff country extremely steep ground you know very uh, prone to erosion highly erodible land so i would think that rotational grazing it's obvious you guys are doing contour farming here and you're trying to do a diversity to kind of uh, deal with some of those erosion issues but i would think rotational grazing would really fit nicely into that is trying to take care of that land on this really steep ground yeah definitely i I have a, I'm going to say it, you know, well-placed words here, but I have a beef against erosion, and I do not like that, and I have no tolerance to that as, as far as, um, if I know that I could figure out a way to stop it, we're not going to have it. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be here. It's not going to be on this farm. Can you, so you started, when did you start rotational grazing again? 2015 would have probably been the first year to where I went, I got polywire and put in the first high tensile piece and started moving the cows, you know, section them in maybe in half that time or in kind of really large areas. And then mm-hmm. I've been, as I'm getting more comfortable, I'm making those pretty tight areas and high stock density is what you'd call that. So tell me a little bit about when you first got into it, where were you getting the information? Where, how were you, uh, I'm sure it was a lot of trial and error, and you talked a little bit about this during the field day, but where, where were you 
because that was, I think, was the point of this field day was to help folks kind of maybe figure out the basics of fencing, watering systems, all that stuff that you kind of had to learn. But where were you getting that information? Where I started was extension meetings. I would say going to that to a pasture walk or a few pasture walks was, was my start. And then where I really went deep into it was my neighbor, who would be also my godfather, gave me a CD. And he said, here, listen to this. This guy has some good information. And, and what that CD was, was Gabe Brown speaking. And I don't know what the title of it was, but that was the first time where it opened my eyes to say, hey, there is a different way, or there could be a different way mm-hmm. of thinking. And that then really drove me to going further into it. So that CD spark, lit a spark, to which then lit a fire of looking into water lines. And a few places that I went for help on that was talking to our local NRCS of what their guidelines are and what their recommendations would be, building off that, talking to, uh, there's not, at that time there wasn't a whole bunch of people I knew that had water lines, but talking to, at one time I talked to an extension engineer on this much drop of elevation will increase this much pressure in your pipe. Mm -hmm. And if you have, you know, figure out where your elevations are and then you might have to go up a size on the pipe you know on a psi scale Uh, those people helped me and our cs i think i already mentioned that extension service other farmers and just google search so take us from you you did a really good job i think of laying out the basics of you started out with watering systems then you talked a little bit about fencing and and uh, and some of that so let's start with, say, watering systems. That seems like that's a really one of the real priorities, especially in this area where you are, you're running water down a hill and, you know, pressure, you have to deal with pressure issues and all of that. But what are some of the basics? And, you know, you admit it, you don't have it, everything figured out. You're still kind of learning by trial and error. But what are some basics you would recommend to somebody who to really start looking at if they are, are, are going to put in a rotational grazing system and I guess start with the watering systems? Well, how I started today, and that's probably where I'm going to go with this question, is what species do you have? At some of the hottest times of the year, how much water do they need? We need to know the water amounts to know what large or small of a system that we need. Mm-hmm. From there, on my learning experience, was I had to become a simplified plumber Know what your pipe thread is. Know what your hose thread is. Those are different. Figure out your barbed ends, how to put those together. I, in today's uh, pasture walk, I, I described that I started with plastic. To me, that was a big no-no, and I won't do that again because that's where my leaks were. That's where they dripped. From there, I, I should, well, actually, I should back up a little bit and say that we need to know the first thing that animals need, we all need water. Mm-hmm. And so that is where I started, and that is where I do believe you need to start. Because water will drive efficiencies throughout the pasture. Even if you don't go polywire or have the capabilities of doing anything electrified at the moment, just having well-placed water is going to increase it. And that's where I think a person should start. What are some real lessons you real learn, like maybe some mistakes or some real fallbacks that you had where you really learned some hard lessons? (laughs) (laughs) 
on the waterline, uh, just sticking with that, the hard lesson was don't uh, burn the road ditches, you know, for say insect control or, or weed damage because <laughs> yeah. that jumped over to my waterline and it burnt that up. So we had to fix that and, and you learn, you're going to just learn little things on the way. Uh, I had many times where I had the wrong fittings. I had the point that our local farm store, they're awesome. I would just bring the fittings I already had purchased, you know, from them. And I'd be like, okay, I need to go from here to there. How can I do that the most efficiently? And those guys helped me out. There was so many times I did that. On the polywire fencing, my, one of my goals today was to show people I've got five different kinds of posts. Mm-hmm. And there's two posts I'm not a huge fan of. I've learned now that I will spend some money on some some good fencing supplies is what I've learned. Um, I've also learned on the different strands. So I've got poly poly wire, which is just a twist, a, a poly twist. Maybe mm-hmm. I should call it the poly twist. Um, and then there's a poly braid, and then I have the poly tape. I would never buy the twist again because it gets caught up in some of the posts that I don't like. Right, and right. that's pretty much the reason why I don't like them. I've also bought a different wire that is black and yellow and that had never worked for me. And so I, I won't buy that again. So there's a lot of trial and error in this in what I've done. And hopefully today that showed some different people, you know, why I do it. And if it works for them, I mean, there's people there too today that said, why don't you do it this way? Well, maybe I should. Yeah, I think that was a really great. You had all, all three of your kinds of wire laid out there, and people got to mess around with it and see instead of just taking your word for it. And I th- that was I think a really valuable way to do that. Yeah, I had a very good quote, and I don't have it in front of me, but it's one from Ben Franklin that said, uh, "Tell me and I forget, teach me and I learn, involve me and I remember." And so that's what I wanted the pasture walk focused on yeah. so i wanted people to be there and they could see for themselves what's going to work for them yeah that was really good is there anything about pasture management in general that you have learned some hard lessons on or that you you're going to maybe look at changing in the future anything just about the management of the pastures in general longer rest periods we've had a drought pretty much Today we got three tenths at two o'clock, so it was nice to wash everything off and have it clean for the pasture walk. But that's a really good question. I'd probably go just keeping the paddocks, making smaller paddocks. That's the goal. That's the direction I'm going to go. Making sure you have diverse plants out there too, especially in the drought this year. Well, a few things I picked out was like my bird's foot trefoil is flourishing. Mm. That I mean, I've got the the crown and diameter that that plant is growing is just impressive i've never seen it that big mm-hmm. so having those at one point i looked out in my pasture and i'm like wow the whole pasture needs to be bird's foot trefoil because that's the only thing growing in this drought so having that diversity out there is important and i can see that now i've got too many cool seasons grasses so hopefully in the future i can change that up mm. how many acres of pasture are you grazing we've got a rented pasture that is about 120 acres. Now keep in mind, and, and I know you said this, that this is bluff country. Yeah. And so a lot of those are trees mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> on that 120 acres. But what I figure on our home farm, I have enough grass of just grass. If you cut out all the trees, uh, if you took a map and cut out all the trees, there's probably about 40 acres of mm-hmm. grass on just our home farm. Mm. And so the 40 acres and then the... The 120, I've never tried to figure out how much grass is on that. Mm. So that's what I got for total. And honestly, 
I run out of grass. I can make it from, we usually let the girls out May, Mother's Day weekend, and then I will have to give them a bale of hay sometime in October. So I can yeah. go about the 205 days. How old are you? I am 30. I just turned 30 this year. New decade, actually. Oh, yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> it's all downhill. No, it's... it's. <laughs> So what are your, do you have future plans as far as where you'd like to see this farm be in five years, something like that? Our goals going forward are going to be, gosh, I'm just happy with where I'm at. I'm not sure. I should uh, probably just tightening stuff up. I want to get that, actually my, my cow, taking it out of just pasture focus, my cow management goal is to get smaller framed cows. Right mm. now, I'm impressed by what they weigh. I definitely am like, oh, that girl is a thousand pounds, and I go sell her at the coal market, and she's easily twelve hundred. Mm-hmm. Or actually, you know, real numbers is I got some of these girls are seventeen, and I can see where that is inefficient on the grass. I could have on those same pounds, I could have another cow and calf there, mm-hmm. and uh, doing that math is an easy one. Or an easy one for me to go get that challenge of how can I get some smaller framed cows. So on the cow management side, that's what I'm going to do. On the pasture management, it's keep making it smaller. And what I'd like to do is just keep paddocking it, making more paddocks is what I'm going to do so that I can keep running polywire across, section yeah. them off. What are what breeds are you, you got out there? I mean, what, what do you got going out there? <laughs> yeah, I always like uh, introducing them as a bunch of mutts, but yeah. I've got some red Angus. That's where my... Uh, That'd be my favorite is the Red Angus breed. Uh, there's Black Angus out there. There's Charlay. We got the Buckskin, which is between the Red Angus and the Charlay. There's a Semi-Angus Gale out there. Uh, limousine. I know one of them has some Limousine. Uh, so we've got almost everything. And I don't think I have Hereford. I guess maybe I'm out on the Herefords, but... There is definitely a black and white cow out there with a white face. So I think she might have genetics in the Hereford side. I just don't know it. It sounds like you're kind of having fun. Oh, yeah. This, I, I'm excited. I, every weekend, if I got time, uh, I'll get up early in the morning on Saturday morning and I'm going to go check the cows. So uh, I love going down there. They're, when they're around me, I can darn near just reach my hand out and stroke all their backs and they're, I can walk in among them, and I just, I love being around them. I don't know what it is. I don't have the answers to that why, but mm-hmm. I have a heck of a good time. Well, and it shows, and I think going back to this field day, what, to me, a successful field day is when you, whoever's hosting, gives their presentation or whatever, but then when you see farmers break up into small groups after the official presentation and kind of share information, and I definitely saw that, and, and you were part of some of those groups and maybe going around, but people were sharing information. I mean, that must be so invaluable and kind of fun to see because you would probably would have benefited from that more when you were getting started. Yeah, that actually, I noticed that too. That was a, that was a good observation, and I wish I could have been like a jackrabbit jumping around in each conversation, but I had how I tie up. I was showing someone how I tie up the mm-hmm. when I'm not on the real end, I'm on the handle end, how I tie that up so you don't have to walk back to the real end to tie your fence up. I was sharing that a couple people. I ran out of time. I had way too much information, too much topics to cover. Uh, a couple people wanted to know how do I make my own DIY solar powered fencer. Uh, so I shared that with some folks. And I would have just liked to maybe get some some feedback. I always have this mindset of what can I do better next time? 
And it would have been fun to kind of hear some people say, oh yeah, you know, try this or next time, you know, go this route or something along those lines. So mm-hmm. I'm sure I'll get some feedback here from other pasture walks. Well, it was just there was just a diversity of folks representing different kind of breeds and different kinds of livestock, you know, and also all levels of experience. And man, you just can't beat that to have all those people in one place. It's 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 invaluable. It's 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 a million dollars worth of education right there. I think for everybody involved. I was really impressed with how many people came, and I'm very thankful for it. I'm definitely feeling blessed. I it far exceeded what I thought it was ever going to be. This was very fun. I'd definitely do it again. And uh, man, I just, like you said, the small groups, I wish I could have been involved in all of them. For more information on building soil health profitably, utilizing grazing, See the podcast page for Ear to the Ground episode 313 at landstewardshipproject.org. There, you can find a link to Nikki Meyer's YouTube page, where she provides short tutorials on various techniques related to grazing. I highly recommend it. Also on our podcast page, there's a link to LSP's list of pasture walk events. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-816-9342. By the way, it helps us greatly if you can give Ear to the Ground a rating on whatever podcast platform you utilize. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music, and a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening.